Now, this may not be true of you now, but probably when you were younger, who was a weightlifter? Okay. Now, what was it? Where did you usually lift weights? The high school. Okay, at the high school. Now, where's the one where everybody likes to show off? What, what's the dip? What's the exercise? Bench press. The bench press. That's right. That's exactly what I was going to say. So there's a flat bench, and then there's a bar that you put weight on, and these guys will stack on that weight, and then you lay down on that bench. And, and you know, in college, I was kind of dumb. I used to do this by myself. There was a, a weight room behind the gymnasium on in the basement, and I would go in there by myself, and I would put, you know, lots of weight under the, under the weight bar, and I'd do bench presses. And a couple of times, um, I had, well, at least one time in particular, I had a mishap that I got to where I was pushing real hard on the weight, because you, you lay flat on your back and extend your arms fully, and then there's bars to catch it. Well, I didn't make it all the way up. And, and if you've been a weightlifter, you know there's that point where it's like, I don't have enough to get this all the way up. And so sure, it falls down on my chest. And luckily, I did not put the clips, because with weight bars, for safety, you put clips on the end to keep the weight in place. Well, I did not put the weight on there, because I had two options. Just roll it all the way off my body, which would have been catastrophic, or tilt from side to side and dump the weights off. So I did that. Well, you know, when you get to that point, when you're on the bench and you, get, and you realize you're not going to be able to get the weight all the way up, you're really concerned until, if you're smarter than me, You've got something that's called a spotter. And so you've typically got this hulking person above you, and you realize that I don't have what it takes to get this the rest of the way up. But I don't have to. I just give it all I've got, and then when I run out of energy, the spotter is going to help me lift the weight the final amount of distance. So hopefully, if you go back into weightlifting, you'll be smarter than I was. So it takes someone stronger to make up the difference between what needs to be done and what you're able to do, right, in that kind of situation. Now, when it comes to the Christian life, it's similar. God has called us to become like Christ. Oh, my. That's, that's challenging, isn't it? I mean, that, that's a daunting task for you and I to become like Christ. And it will accept, you know, that progress, it's a process, isn't it? Making progress in your faith, progress in your spiritual journey, it's a process. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. So progress is a process, and we need to engage together in community so that we will gradually, day by day, become more like Jesus. But at some point, our window of opportunity is going to close, right? Our time on the th this earth is going to come to an end. And much like with the weightlifting, we're going to have to depend on someone greater than ourselves to bring that work to completion. And we're not going to become just like Jesus in this lifetime. But when our time on this earth is over, we're going to need somebody that's greater than us to make up the difference. Today we're going to examine the pathway that God has determined for each of us to pursue to become more like Jesus. And the first point today that we need to understand is that I'm a work in progress. Can I get an amen? Amen. Are you a work in progress? Amen. All right. What does that mean? There's, there's still work to be done, right? We're not done. We're not finished. It's not over yet. I am a work in progress. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be reviewing a few passages out here this morning. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Paul says this. He says, I don't mean to say, if you misunderstood me, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. Now, Paul was a pretty good guy after he converted, right? He wasn't a great guy 
But when he started following Jesus, he went all in. He went all over the Mediterranean rim sharing the gospel. But he says, I have not yet reached perfection, but I press on. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Again, he reiterates, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. And that's probably true of us, isn't it? You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm still a work in progress. So this is what Paul recommends. He says, but I focus on this one thing. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So Paul's not there yet. We're not there yet. But with that in mind, Paul challenges us to focus on one thing. And here it is. He says, forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. So when we're considering our past, I mean, everybody in this room has a path to the present, right? We've got a backstory. We've got experiences, life that's happened over the years that's been part of our story. And we've got two ways to look at it. The first way to look at it is a collection of circumstances and people that have held me back. And we all struggle with this in our low moments. We start thinking about, you know what? If this hadn't happened, if that person hadn't hurt me, if that job or that company hadn't gone sour, if that relationship hadn't spoiled, I'd be a different person. I'd be in a different place. And in our dark moments, we feel regret and we feel frustration and upset because the, the circumstances didn't go our way. Or those people held me back. And that's one way of viewing our story. And it's something that we all struggle with, right? Sometimes when we're thinking about it in our dark moments. But the other way to think about it, and this takes faith, is to say, you know what? Everything that's happened in my past, from, from the time I was born up till now, every relationship I've had, every success I've had, every mistake that I've made, they're coming in. Go read it. So, but we can view it as everything that's happened to me is a necessary step. It had to happen that way so that God could bring me to this point. And you know what? The future is bright. And God's hand was in it in the past. God's hand is in it in the present. And God's hand is going to be in it in the future. So that's two very different ways of viewing your station in life. But to choose the latter, we need eyes of faith, don't we? eyes of faith. You know, Paul had plenty of regrets, didn't he? He had plenty of regrets that could have become excuses as to why God had chosen the wrong guy. Think about Moses. Remember the excuses that he offered? He said, I'm not a good speaker. They're not going to listen to me, God. I'm the wrong. You've chosen the wrong guy. But Paul chose to have eyes of Eyes that are inspired by the Spirit of God to see the seeds of what is not yet visible. So that's what we have to be trained to look for. It's not there yet. It hasn't happened yet, but God is at work. And there's the seeds. You can see the seeds of what is not yet there. There are many times when our children do not live up to our expectations, right? Can I get an amen? Hey. Sorry. Hey. <laughs> And if your children always meet your expectations, that might be another problem, right? 
They may not be high enough. And that's a story for another day. But there are crucial times when we see our children rise to the occasion. And it confirms our faith. There's times, I mean, they make mistakes, they make messes, they don't clean their room. <clears throat> but, I'm just, I'm just messing with you. But there are other times when it's, when it's an issue of compassion, or when it's an issue of responsibility, or when it's, when it's an issue of integrity, and we see our kids come through, and they do the right thing, and they rise to the occasion, and it gives us confidence, because we're seeing the seeds faith. We're seeing, we're getting confidence that God is going to complete the good work that he began. As we see the evidence. Not all the time, but in those crucial moments we see that God is at work. But when we get concerned is when our children plateau, right, for an extended period of time. And then we get concerned. I mean, if they go for a couple of weeks or even a couple of months, that's not irreversible, right? It's not irreversible. But when they go a semester or two and they don't show progress, they don't show signs of progress, but they're showing regression rather than progression, then we get concerned, don't we? we get a little concerned. They're not progressing. I mean, if their academics are slipping, if they start making moral decisions that are contradictory to the way they've been raised, and when we start seeing lack of an evidence of a strong work ethic, we get concerned because they're not progressing. And that's the point, right? If, if you and I are a work in progress, and that's what God's calling you to, it's what he's calling me to, if we're a work in progress, we need to be making progress. And as long as we're progressing and not regressing, then we can see the evidence that God is at work. And that's what he's calling us toward. So the question for you and I today is this, am I a work in progress or am I just treading water? Am I a work in progress or am I just treading water? And I know that for me, the answer can be different at different times, we're honest. Sometimes I'm progressing. Sometimes I'm growing. Sometimes I'm changing. Sometimes I'm seeking God, and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm just stationary. Or in some ways, I'm regressing. I'm going backward, not forward. But the trick is knowing yourself well enough to know when you're just coasting or maybe even regressing. And it's at times like this that God is calling us to forget what is behind to press on toward what is ahead. I mean, there's no benefit in wallowing in shame and regret. Amen? Does that help you when you start thinking about your mistakes and your regrets and just dwelling on them? Does that make things better? No. So Paul was saying, forget what is behind. It's in the past. It's water under the bridge, but look toward what is ahead. Saying, God, I'm sorry. You know, I checked out there for a minute. I checked out there for an hour. I checked out for a week, a month, maybe a couple of years. But I want to do something really important right now, God. Because God's not wanting us to wallow in shame and regret. But there is tremendous benefit to repentance. And you know what that is? It's real simple. It's I'm heading in one direction. Things seem like they're going okay. Things are not going okay. I'm getting really concerned, upset. And then you just change direction. That's repentance. It's saying, God, I'm going in the wrong direction, and I need your help to go in the right direction. So God's not wanting you to, to feel bad and to, and to just kind of stay there. He wants to help you and help me change direction and repent. Help me get back on track to being a work in progress. Again, I need your help, God. That's where he wants us to be. 
But this is something that's difficult to do alone, isn't it? You ever try to do that yourself? We need help. I'm heading in the wrong direction. I can't turn the car around. I can't turn the Titanic. God, I need your help. And so what you and I need, number two, I need a role model. I need a role model. Now look at this gem of a passage, verse 17 of chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, and this is a bold statement. You're going to be, I think you'll be as shocked by it as I am. He says, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. Wow. Can you imagine saying that to somebody else? You want to know what following Jesus is like? Just follow me. And then you'll know. Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Now, there are plenty of examples of negative role models in our society today, right? Absolutely. Plenty of examples. And it's hard to ignore them, right? I mean, they've got microphones. They've got television cameras. They've got photographers, Instagram accounts, and record labels. And your local church is the perfect place to find the antidote. And I'll tell you why. Perfect place to find the antidote to negative role models in society. I mean, there is great value to Christian artists and athletes. They're, they're wonderful, aren't they? I mean, I, we love Toby Mac. I took the kids to a concert. I'm not a big concert guy, but they loved it. They were so excited. They were inspired to follow Jesus. And you can't hardly say anything bad about Tim Tebow. I mean, he, he didn't make it as, as an NFL quarterback, but he's such a good guy. And he does his, little, his joy prom things, his night shines. Can't say anything bad about the guy. But the problem is that though you can find them on YouTube, they're going to be unavailable to sit down face to face, aren't they? They don't have time. They don't have capacity. But your local church, our local church is full of people who are in it for the money. Anybody here in it for the money? Coming to church for the money? Coming to church for the fame? Is that why you're here? No. You don't get money from church. <coughs> no, you don't. <coughs> Well, yeah, well, you know, some people get paid. So, so many people every week all across the nation, all over the world, they offer their presence, they're here, and they offer their praise weekly free of charge. And the good ones might even be available for a one-to-one -one chat. You need to talk about what's going on in your life. You need to talk about your relationship with the Lord. The good ones will sit down with you. And you don't have to book them in advance. Just have to buy them, buy them lunch. Rightly. Yeah, amen. So, a local church is the answer. Paul was certainly one of these role models, as you see here in these verses. He was so accessible to his target audience that he was able to challenge them with a straight face. Pattern your lives after mine. And he spent so much time with them, even though he worked a full-time job. He was a tent maker. He, he spent so much time with them that he was able to say, follow me. And they would have had countless hours of personal experience with the Apostle Paul to draw from in fulfilling this admonition. Now, uncomfortably, I mean, this scripture is very clear. Can less experienced Christians say the same about me? Can they say the same about you? I mean, if you said or if I said to somebody, follow my example, would it ring hollow? They, if you said follow, would it ring hollow? They say follow what? 
don't even know you, they can see you. What is there to follow? And like Lee says, I mean, the scripture is uncomfortably clear on this point. Proverbs 27, 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So who are you sharpening? Who is sharpening you? You ever try to do something with a dull instrument? One of my favorite episodes of Little House on the Prairie, which I watch with the kids all the time, is there was this lumberjack man. He was getting older. But he, he, and he was competing with Charles Engels in a lumberjack contest. They were chopping down logs. And intentionally, in order to help the man kind of save his pride, because it would have killed him. He was, he was hurting himself trying to beat Charles at this contest. Charles Engels intentionally used a dull axe in the last round. He didn't sharpen it one bit. He was chopping with a dull axe on purpose so the other man would win. But how many times can you and I be guilty of the same thing? Just, just by neglect. We've got a dull instrument, and we're not doing anything to sharpen it. We're not reading scripture. We're not praying. We're not in fellowship. And then we go out and start chopping things down and wonder why nothing's happening. God, what's going on? God, what, why aren't you doing anything? This is your fault. And we're just going out there with a dull instrument. So who are you sharpening? Who is sharpening you? And you know, as long as we trod this clod, we are responsible to engage in the process of progress. Discipleship. We're also responsible to both sharpen and be sharpened by other believers in community. And that's what God is calling for you and me today, to engage in that process. It's a process, and it's not going to be complete during your time on this earth, but engage in it. Sharpen and be sharpened and engage in the process of progress. But what happens, you know, and this is our final point, what happens when our time is up? Because one day it will be. What happens when our time is up? What happens when it's time to complete the good work, but the good work is far from complete? I mean, I'm sure you're good. I know some of you personally, you're great. I love you. But you're not like Jesus yet. And I'm not like Jesus yet. So what happens when the time is up? And the work is not complete. And this is where Jesus comes in. This is the encouraging part. The third point is that Jesus makes up the difference. There's going to be a gap between where you need to be and where you are. Go back to the analogy at the beginning. You're straining. You're lifting that weight, and you've run out of gas. There needs to be somebody stronger than you to make up the difference, and that's what Jesus does. Verse 20 of chapter 3. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies. And here's the key thought. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. And I'm just now getting to that age when my body's starting to betray me. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Can't do, I ain't as good as I once was. And I'm not even as good once as I ever was, right? Toby Keith, great philosopher of our age. But I changed it a little bit. You'll have to go back and read the, read the lyrics. What happens when our time is up and, and we're not there yet? This is where Jesus comes in. He'll take our weak moral bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So at some point, the clock's going to run out, isn't it? And we're only going to be as far as we are. As this scripture says, Jesus is going to make up the difference between his perfection and our imperfection. 
And we feel that so strong, so heavy sometimes. I'm not perfect. I'm not there yet. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not even where I want to be. But at some point, Jesus is going to make up the difference. It's going to be his perfection that God sees, not our imperfection. And we know our imperfection so well, don't we? We're intimately acquainted. But he's going to see Jesus' perfection and not our imperfection. So until Jesus returns, we've got nothing to lose, right? And we've got nothing to fear. We don't need to be haunted by our past. Paul says, forget the past. I mean, learn from it. Don't, don't live in it. Forget the past. Focus on what is ahead. And we need not fear the future as Christians. Glory awaits us. But in the meantime, God is calling us. He's calling you and me to engage together daily in the process of progress. Because if you do your part and I do my part, it opens the door for Jesus to do his part. And if you do your part and engage, if I do my part, then it opens the door for Jesus to do his part. The part that only he can do, only he can open doors, only he can change lives. He just wants us to do our part. And he's going to make up the difference in order to make an eternal difference. So the bottom line today is this, he is greater than me. We've been talking about we is greater than me. And that's all because he is greater than me. We each need someone greater than us to complete the work we weren't capable of bringing to completion. And Jesus is that someone. But he has ordained that part of this process goes beyond me to we. He works through we. So a few questions for you today in closing. Are you willing to forget the past? I mean, for some of you, this might be your issue today. Kind of carrying it around with you. Dragging along the past. Not letting it go. It's weighing you down. And today, Jesus is telling you, forget the past. It's in the past. Are you willing to look toward what lies ahead and believe with eyes of faith that God has been in your story? His hand has been guiding and leading you all this time. Even when you didn't know it. And that he still has good plans for you. He still has work in mind for you. So are you willing to forget the past and look toward what lies ahead? Because there is something ahead for you. There is something ahead for me. Are you willing to both seek out and be a role model? Now, Andy Stanley says it like this. He said, well, we all have a little cup. And it's only so full. And maybe you feel like there's only a few drops in your cup. But our job is this. Take what's in my cup and pour it into your as much or as little as it is, everybody's responsible to take what's in your cup and pour it into somebody else's cup. And you'll be surprised how much more is in your cup than you think. God will use you. So are you willing to seek out and be a role model? You need to be seeking somebody else out and saying, hey, your cup looks pretty full. Would you mind pouring a little into mine? Would you mind sharing your experience, sharing some stories? Talk to me about what God's done in your life because I see the seeds. I see the evidence that God is at work. And then lastly, are you willing to trust Jesus? Don't get caught up in your failures and your flaws, but are you willing to trust Jesus to make up the difference and say, I'm trying and I've only got the bar halfway up and I'm running out of gas. But that's okay because I know that the time is coming when Jesus is going to make up the difference. You know, his perfection 
is going to cover over and make my imperfection disappear. So imagine what God might do with a group of people who are willing to answer yes to each of these three questions. Yes, I'm willing to forget the past and look toward what lies ahead. God, yes, I'm willing to seek out and be a role model. Yes, Jesus, I'm willing to trust you to make up the difference. God, thank you so much for this day and these scriptures. And I do pray, God, that the good work that you've begun in each one of us, the good work that you've begun in, in all of us collectively, God, that you would carry it on to completion, that we would engage daily in the process of growth and discipleship, that we would be willing to pour what's in our cup into somebody else's cup and to receive from others, and that we would be willing to trust you with unwavering confidence, Jesus, that you will fully and completely make up for all of our imperfection with your perfection. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.